0: What does a legacy mean to you? Is it something you insist your life to have after you're gone? What if you don't get the chance to complete what you had started? And what if you knew the person who was gone and had the opportunity to finish what they had started? Would you step up to complete the job or would you leave the legacy fade in time? It's the life of a Cork woman which answers these questions for us. This is her story. In 1872, in the Irish slums of London, in an area called Bermondsey, a woman was born. Her name was Mary McSweeney. Her father, John, was an Irish refugee who had left for England to escape the Great Famine. He left behind him his home in Crookstown, County Cork, at the height of the suffering of the Irish people. When he landed in London, he vowed one day he would return to a better Ireland, an Ireland for all. Her mother was a Catholic Englishwoman with strong views on Irish nationalism. When she was 7 in 1879, Mary's family moved back to her father's homeland in Cork. The year they arrived back, Mary's youngest brother was born. His name was Terence. When in Cork, she was educated at St. Angela's School, a Catholic church to run free education school in the city. Here she showed she was incredibly bright as she progressed through her studies, often achieving top marks as she went. She did suffer with her health however in her younger years, consistently picking up flus and infections. On one occasion, she picked up an infection so bad, she had to have her foot amputated. When in Cork, her father started his own snuff and tobacco business. He worked incredibly hard to get the business going. He was noted as having worked all day and all night, but times were tough in Ireland. The people had little to no money, and even less to spend on tobacco. After struggling for a few years with the business, he was forced to leave his family behind and left for Melbourne, Australia. He scraped all the pennies together he could get his hands on to buy a ticket for the boat, which would take him from Cove to the other side of the world. The cost of the ticket was about a year's salary and given the price, it was decided he would go alone and send money home to the family in order for them to have a decent income and perhaps one day join him in his new life. As a result of her father's hard work, Mary was able to continue her education and qualified as a teacher at age just 20. Whilst the money coming back from Australia wasn't lucrative, it did help set her up in a position to be able to gain an education. To help her training cost, the Student Aid Society in Ireland gave her a loan to go to London to train. This loan was normally reserved for men, but given her educational record, she was seen as someone who would not waste the opportunity or money they would be providing for her. She worked here for three years, until she received a letter with devastating news. Her father, now 10 years in Australia, had died alone. She was left devastated by this, she had loved her father dearly and was incredibly thankful for what he had done for her and her siblings. She also gained a new sense of bitterness towards the ruling classes in Ireland at the time. She saw it that on two occasions her father was forced out of his home and it was due to the oppression of the Irish people by British authorities, but all the bitterness she felt was building and growing more so as a resentment and furious anger in her younger brother Terence. She powered on for the next few years, working in the Isle of Wight in southern England. But four years after the news of her father's death, she received the news that her mother had now also died unexpectedly. The story goes, after the death of her husband, far away and alone, Mary's mother had just given up and had died of heartbreak. In 1904, the year of her mother's death, Mary left her new life in England and returned to Cork to care for her younger siblings she began working in her old school, St. Angela's. Due to her new sense of injustice against the Irish people, she began to seek ways which she could help the Irish cause. She attended the very first meeting of the Munster Women's Franchise League, a south of Ireland suffragette movement, and was made a committee member after others heard her speak and saw how she could rally a crowd easily under a cause. She did, however, totally oppose any military movement of the Irish suffragettes, and her nationalist views caused some unrest amongst the committee members. Some of the other members were the wives of wealthy British businessmen in Cork, and did not want the movement to also become part of the republican movement. Mary however, saw it as an opportunity to create a platform that would help create the Irish Republic with freedom for all, men and women, everyone equal. She did not see that this was an opportunity which might exist while Ireland remained a part of Britain. Each evening, when Mary would return home from work, she would be greeted at the door by a very excited Terence. He would put on the kettle and tell her all the stories he had learnt from the old men who would tell tales of Tone, Emmet and O'Connell, and how each of these great leaders of men saw a different vision from the Ireland that he was living through. They would sit and discuss the United Irishman, the laws which inflicted starvation on the Irish during the famine, and the executions of Irish men and women over the centuries who sought better living conditions. Terence, at this state, was solely devoted to the Irish Republican cause. He saw his role in life to have his name listed next to these heroes as an Irish rebel. He desperately wanted to be the man to liberate Ireland from the shackles of its oppressor. In 1913, Terence founded the Cork Volunteers, a rebel force in the city, and he was elected the president of the Cork branch of Sinn Féin. His political writings and speeches had brought him to the attention of the Republican Brotherhood in Cork. Inspired by her brother, Mary began to devote her time towards the Republican movement. In 1914, she was one of the founding members of the Freedom Fighting Irish Women, Common Unamon, as it formed in the rebel city. She was elected the Vice President of the movement. She had forgone her attitude to violence and now saw the role it must play in the uprising of the Irish people. Then, in 1916, Cork's great moment to rise for Ireland came. The revolution had begun. The history of the 1916 Easter Rising is embedded in Dublin. It's where the majority of the fighting took place, where Pearse announced a new Irish Republic to the world, and where the leaders were executed. This was a small part of a greater original plan. On the morning of the Rising, 1,000 Corkonians, under the command of Thomas McCurtain, prepared for battle. They waited for guns to arrive from Germany, via the gallant efforts of Sir Roger Casement. As they waited, devastating news came to the leaders. The guns had arrived, but they had been intercepted by the British, and Casement was on his way to a jail cell for treason. As a result of the failure, the rebels were not armed, and a message came from Dublin that the rebellion was off and they must stand down. Terence McSweeney had directed 400 of his men to march from the city to go west to McCroom. But when the message came in that the rebellion was off, he rushed out to order his men to go home, be safe and wait for the right time to attack again in the future. The following day, however, the message came through that the fighting had started in Dublin and Kerryman, the O'Reilly, was bravely fighting his way through the city alone to reach the GPO to fight side by side with his comrades. In response, the Cork rebels ran to Volunteer Hall on Shears Street near the city centre and began a major standoff with the large numbers of British soldiers already in the city. They stood in a week-long standoff until the Bishop of Cork, Daniel Coughlin, told them to hand over their guns and McCurtain was arrested. After the failure of the Rising, Mary was arrested and imprisoned for her role. She could not fight herself due to her amputated foot. To compound the issue, because of her republican activities, she was also sacked from her job. When she is released, she and her sister Annie set up a sister school to Project pierces School St Endas in Dublin, a school for the Irish people, promoting creativity, Irish literature and arts and the history of Ireland. Terence was also imprisoned for his role on the Rising and was deported from Ireland to serve his prison time in internment camps in Britain. Here, he spent time with other key figures in the Republican movement who were not executed after the Rising, and their views on the Irish fight grew stronger and more ingrained in their souls. In 1918, he was elected to the first Irish Parliament, a somewhat illegal movement against the British Crown. In his position of power, he campaigned strongly for his friend Thomas McCurtain to be the first Republican Mayor of Cork. Because of McCurtain's Republican views, he was killed on the 20th of March 1920 on his 36th birthday in front of his wife and children. This assassination was done under the orders of then British Prime Minister David Lloyd George by the Black and Tans, organised by Winston Churchill with their faces covered. They were looking to stamp the Republican movement out of the rebel city during what was then the Irish War of Independence. When his position of Lord Mayor was to be filled, Terence stepped up to claim his dead friend's role. He was elected straight away in spite of British authorities trying to spoil the voting system. They had not expected the Protestant Irish to side with the Republicans. As a counter-move, the British arrested Terence for being in the possession of seditious articles and documents, none of which were ever produced as evidence. He was sentenced to just two years in prison. Outraged and fed up with the torment of his people, Terence immediately began a hunger strike, as he was trialled in a military court, when he was not a member of an official military organisation. Eleven other Irishmen and women joined him. The hunger strike grew great attention to the Irish cause. Given Ireland's history of famines and hunger, it went across the globe, highlighting the Irish had had enough, as starvation was something which had horrified the Irish genetic memory. On the 10th day of his strike, the British government stated he would not be released or rechild as it would have disastrous results in Ireland and would probably lead to the mutiny of both the military and police in the south of Ireland. After 73 days on hunger strike, Terence's fight ended and he moved to the Mystic Room above the clouds to join Wolfe Tone, James Connolly, Robert Emmett, Thomas Clark, Pawjick Pierce, and the other sons of Aaron. After her brother's death... Mary stepped up and took her brother's role in the movement. She took her brother's seat through election in the Irish Parliament. As she could not fight, she would meet the rebel flying columns across Ireland and inspire the rebels to keep fighting and ensuring them that Irish freedom was coming. She did not stop there. She took her brother's widow and set sail for America where they went around the Irish communities for nine months encouraging people to boycott British products, send money home and help purchase weapons. She also got them to put pressure on the American government to step in and help liberate Ireland. She was brought before the American Commission and gave evidence on the living conditions in Ireland and how Britain was neglecting the human rights of an entire nation. She was a core reason why Britain began to engage talks with the Irish Republicans and look at releasing Ireland from the Union. In October 1921, she returned to Ireland under the instruction of Eamon de Valera as there was a delegation of Irish men and women going to London to meet with the British authorities. The group was led by Michael Collins. Mary pleaded with de Valera to let her lead the group instead. She did not trust Collins would be strong enough to argue a case for Ireland. De Valera said no and instructed her not to go as he felt she had become too hardened, and too extreme since the death of her brother. When Collins returned, Ireland was petitioned. Twenty-six counties were to become free from the Crown, while six in the North would form a new nation as part of the Union. This agreement began the Irish Civil War, as brothers, neighbours and friends fought over whether Ireland should go back and reclaim the last six counties. Imagine how different Ireland would look today, had she gone. Mary was outraged and desperately wanted the six counties to be part of this new republic. She saw Ireland should be free for all and not just some. She gave a three-hour speech to a large crowd in Dublin stating this matter has been put to us as a treaty or war. I say now if it were war I would take it gladly and gleefully not flippantly but gladly because I realise that there are evils worse than war. And no physical victory can compensate for a spiritual surrender. As a result of her views, after the war, she was taken to Mountjoy and imprisoned with the others who shared her view. Those who had arrested her had fought side by side with her previously in the Republican movement. This was not out of the ordinary. Most of the side which had lost was imprisoned after the war and the leaders executed by the new Irish government. When she arrived in the prison, she immediately went on hunger strike for the freedom of those locked up by the new state. amon had vigils every night outside her cell as she starved. She refused doctor's visits and was resigned to her death. She was given the last rites, but when word of this came to the new state government, she was immediately released as well as others. They could not be seen to let another Irish person starve to death due to the conditions of a new oppression. On her release she continued to argue for a new war and was again arrested and again restored to hunger strike. After 90 days on hunger strike she was due to be released but the judge changed his mind and sent her to the North Dublin Union instead, a prison hospital. Whilst in prison she again won her seat in the Irish Parliament representing Cork. She eventually came off hunger strike and in 1926 with her friend Father Michael Flanagan She led the section of the party, which Éamon de Valera broke away from, to form Fianna Fáil. She spent the next few years in politics with Sinn Féin, but as Ireland's worldview changed, her republicanism became less of a point to vote for. By 1934, she was completely out of politics. In 1931, she became the legal guardian of her brother Terence's daughter, Marie, after his heartbroken widow, living in Germany, could no longer care for her. Mary McSweeney died on the 8th of March, 1942, back home in Cork. Today's music was written, performed and produced by Ryan O'Halloran. We the Irish is an Ireland Loves production. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us to continue to create more, you can buy us a coffee at www dot buymeacoffee.com slash we Irish Ornus and I'm Sloninish an It's the big one. The Sky half-price sale is here. Choose from award-winning Sky TV and everything on Netflix or unmissable sports with every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports all half-price. Take Sky Cinema and watch the biggest blockbusters or grab Sky Broadband Ultrafast for lightning-fast speeds. Choose one that suits you. They're all half-price for six months. Save big in the Sky half-price sale. Search sky half price. Availability subject to location, TV and broadband products sold separately. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. Setup fees, min terms, and further terms apply. Offer ends 2nd of September.